Michelle Hennessy here, presenter of The Explainer. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to tell you about another project from the journal. You've likely heard some of our episodes where we linked up with the Good Information Project, a series that explored 15 major topics our readers told us impact on their lives. Well, now it has its very own podcast, the Good Information Podcast. In each episode, our editors and reporters join managing editor Susan Daly to dig into these issues and examine their effect on Ireland and its place in the EU. The first episode explores the question of a united Ireland, and this episode is already available for you to listen to. If you enjoy The Explainer, we think you'll also get something from the Good Information podcast. You'll find it on Spotify or Apple Podcast, as well as the Journal app. Check it out and let us know what you think by emailing hello at thejournal.ie. And now, back to The Explainer. Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Michelle Hennessy, and this week, what is Care, and how does it aim to reform Ireland's health system? Over the course of the last month, the Good Information Project has been examining whether the Irish healthcare system can be fixed. Now, more than two years on from the arrival of a pandemic, the system is trying to get back on track and to tackle the major issues it was grappling with pre-COVID. Patients waiting on trolleys in emergency departments, years-long waiting lists for appointments or procedures, and large gaps in community care. These were just some of the main problems identified in a 2017 report called the Slauncher Care Report. Five years on from the publication of that report, the government has been criticised over the slow implementation of the reforms it outlined. A number of key figures involved in its implementation have also resigned from their positions. So what exactly is Slauncher Care going to do for Ireland's healthcare system? And can the HSC actually catch up now after the significant delays caused by the pandemic and the recent system-wide cyber attack? To talk us through the plan, I'm joined by Liam Doran, former General Secretary of the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation. He was also a member of the Care Implementation Advisory Council. Liam, you're very welcome. Now, Slauncicare has a lot of moving parts, but before we get into the finer details, can you explain what its broader aim is? The simple aim behind Care is to introduce into Ireland for the first time a single-tiered universally accessible healthcare system where everyone is treated equally. Your access to care is determined by your need, not your ability to pay. So your GP services will be free at the point of access, your hospital care and your community care and support services will all be free at the point of access in a a health system that's 360 and completely wrapped around and no private health insurance required. Everyone is treated equally and ability to pay does not determine speed of access to care. And so if we dig into that, what are the main problems in the Irish health system that it hopes to address? At the moment, we have a mix of public and private health care, where anyone who has a medical card can access GP services and hospital care and most community services free at the point of access. But if your income is above a certain threshold, then you have to pay. As you have to pay for your GP services, you have to pay uh, hospital charges and so on. And then in tandem with that and running parallel to that, you have within Ireland a private health care system whereby, particularly in hospital care, if you have private health insurance, you can access diagnostics quicker, you can access consultant consultations quicker, and so on. And there, the consultant has the right to practice both public or treat both public and private patients within a public hospital. So, uh, if you like, there's perverse incentives there operating within the Irish healthcare system, which has led, is leading, and will continue to lead to those who have private health insurance having swifter access to essential health care, swifter access to diagnostics, and swifter access to treatment 
than those who are on lower income levels and who cannot afford private health care. And Slauncher Care is about removing that gross inequality, that social injustice, so that we have a, a, a wraparound health system that treats everybody equally. And how exactly is it planning to do that? Oh, by a root and branch reform, uh, by introducing into Ireland, by, if you like, abolishing uh, the right of consultants to have private practice in public hospitals, by greatly expanding the community services, a massive shift away from hospital care into community care, uh, with chronic diseases being managed in the community to avoid hospital admissions, where you have GP services free to, to, to people who are using them. But essentially, it requires a massive expansion of our public health care system so that it can cater for the demands that are being placed upon, that will be placed upon it with a, a growing population, changing demographics. We're all growing older. When we grow older, we have multiple illnesses, if you like, that have to be treated and managed and so on. So we need a wider, deeper, higher public health system that never sleeps, uh, that will be working in the community over seven days a week, and that in the hospital you have uh, access to a bed when you need it, but you should have less demand upon beds because you'll have more to, more services available in the community over the seven-day uh, cycle, thus allowing me to stay out of hospital, but at the same time get high-quality care. And are there specifics within this plan to improve the kinds of things we've been hearing about for years, like the figures on Trolley Watch, that's the INMO's tracker for patients on trolleys, or other problems like waiting times for procedures? Is it hoped that the wider reforms will fix those individual things? Well, no, they will, the reason we have those difficulties now is because the public health system, Trolley Watch is a, a, a failure of public health care. And if, if I can just bear for a moment, the reason why you don't have uh, trolleys in private hospitals, for example, is that they don't do uh, emergency care in the sense that most of the treatment that goes on in private hospitals is elective. In other words, your, your timetable to come in at 7 a.m. in the morning for a, a procedure, you have the procedure, you go home that day or the next day or whatever. If you then go to, we'll say, just pick a hospital, the, the matter public hospital, it can have a routine theater list planned for today or a routine set of diagnostic procedures planned for today. Major RTA happens, uh, a road traffic accident, and people have to rush to theater. The, the routine stuff is deferred. So... The idea behind Slauncher Care is that you would greatly expand the public health system so that it can deal with the predictable demands that we place upon it, whether that's in the hospital, but increasingly that should be in the community, where, as I said, minor injury units, uh, community care services are provided on a seven-day basis, not just on a Monday to Friday basis, and then they shut down at 5, 6 o'clock on a Friday and don't reopen until 9 o'clock on a Monday, which is all the case now, including GP. You shift from your, your GP surgery to a dock-on-call system at the weekends. So you have to have uh, a great expansion in terms of acute bed numbers, uh, but also an even more greater expansion in terms of community services in the form of small injury clinics, in the form of the availability of community-based public health nurses over the seven-day cycle, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, dietitians, healthcare assistants, all those people you need to support you outside the hospital, uh, they have to be brought on board as part of the uh, seismic shift to a single-tiered, universally accessible public health system, which is what Slauncher Care Gear aims to do. And are there any particular examples you can give us of 
you know, concrete changes, improvements that have happened already that are down to that plan? Ah, well, that's where it becomes difficult. I mean, people differ on this. Now, I have to be frank. I mean, I would have a view that we're five years after the Oireachtas Committee recommended Flanchy Care. And I do not honestly believe that any of the fundamentals, the essentials, the step changes that are required to make Flanchy Care work, I don't believe any of them have been delivered. And I'm primarily talking about the consultant's contract, which has to move to a public-only contract. And it has to involve an increase in their salary. It's a worldwide market for first-class consultants, and Ireland's got to compete with that. The shift away to free GP services, that's happening incrementally with children under 12 and all that kind of But the major shift has yet to happen, but minor steps in that area. The expansion of acute beds and the, the building of free elective-only public hospitals, none of that has happened. We've had minor changes in how health service is delivered, but I honestly and, 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 and sincerely believe that this hype of seismic shifts, the, the, the fundamentals, the cornerstone building blocks of Solange Care, those changes, while identified, while well-described, have not yet been progressed by the political and management system within our healthcare over the last five years. And obviously you were saying that, you know, there's a difference of opinion in terms of what's been implemented and what hasn't. But what are the other kinds of minor changes, I suppose, that the other side um, would be saying have been done and are there? Yeah, there there has been some shift to chronic disease management in the community. There has been a a shift to uh, some more elective pathways and GP having access to diagnostics, direct access to diagnostics. But you see, I would hold the view that if we went back 10 years, we could have had copious conversations describing those things should happen anyway. They're now put under the umbrella of Slauncher Care, but everybody believed that those things had to happen anyway. They predated Slauncher Care. They're now happening incrementally and slowly and evolving, and that's good and is to be welcomed. But let's not give it more credit than deserves. Those things should have been happening anyway, but the big changes, those things have not happened. And until they do happen, we won't, A, have a health service big enough to be single-tiered, and B, and most importantly, we won't secure the support of the community that it believes Slauncher Care, the single-tiered system, will deliver health care when they require it. And that's, and that the Irish healthcare system will respond to their needs when they want it, Whereas now they believe they need private health care in order to get that fast access to diagnostics and so on. And we haven't, we haven't progressed those cornerstones, those, those step changes that have to happen if we're really serious about delivering Sancho care. And remember, the original plan was meant to be 10 years. We're now five years on. So it's not going to happen within 10 years. I still aspire to the belief it can be done within 10 to 15 years. But those step changes have to happen. It can't be done quicker than that but it can be done if there's a political and I think managerial will to make that, to lead that change and bring the general public with them. So if we go back to 2017, just for our listeners who might not remember uh, back that far when, when this all started, whose idea was it? Well, in fairness, uh, the, the Oireachtas set up an all-party committee, uh, Slauncher Care Committee, chaired by Roisin Shortle, who's now joint leader of the Social Democrats. And it did carry out, in fairness, in a very you know, open and transparent way that it, it spoke to everyone, uh, uh, all interested parties, stakeholders, and so on. And it came forward 
with an absolutely agreed, if you like, roadmap as to how to deliver Solange Care over a 10-year period with costings attached to it and its secured universal cross-party support. The difficulty is that once it left that Oireachtas committee and moved into the, if you like, the, the governmental seat and the, I would argue, the, the managerial uh, atmosphere, uh, then, you know, things began to slow down, things were altered, uh, uh, recommendations were parked or subtly amended, and, you know, we then start running into choppy waters, despite the fact that the all-party Oireachtas committee had actually recommended a very clear and a very direct and a very well-described uh, journey from where we are now to where we should be in 10 years' time. But for reasons best known to others, subtle changes began, and I think we immediately ran into um, to uh, inertia, if you like, and, and the changes haven't happened. And Liam, was it difficult to get cross-party support at that committee level, or was there a recognition that this is just the way we had to go? Yes. Uh, you see, words are easy. Actions are hard. And everyone, it's like motherhood and apple pie. Everyone is for a single-tiered, universally accessible healthcare system, which is, uh, treats everybody equally, whether you're the judge or the janitor, you're treated absolutely. So every politician, no politician will go against that, because that's, that's right and proper. So it wasn't difficult to get, uh, if you like, political cross-party support. The difficulties emerge when you then try to translate that into action in terms of, of convincing politicians leading out on, if you like, the campaign and convincing, as I said before, the general public that this journey will be worth it, that we will all be better off because those amongst us who can't afford private health care get speedy access to health care. Like if you convince people, I am better off because you are healthy, then that's part of the leadership journey. But then in addition to that, we then had, if you like, often known as the vested interest, in other words, those who have an interest in maintaining the status quo, they obviously had concerns about changing. It's a big shift for GPs and a big shift for consultants where their two streams of income will be changed to one stream of income, uh, public-only patients. And that, those revised contracts have not yet been negotiated. Have not, that, those journeys have not yet been navigated. And that's part of the inertia, part of the delays, part of the stalling. But I also think there has been a lack of political will and this is, I have to be very accurate here now, the lack of political will pre-pandemic to allocate to the health system the kind of financial resource to deliver the, the enhanced capital infrastructure, but more importantly, the expanded human infrastructure to deliver a public health system that's wider, deeper, taller, and operates on a seven over seven basis. Now, in fairness, post the pandemic, more money is being put into our health system. And if that's maintained, then that is a light at the end of the tunnel because we are putting more money into the health system now than we ever did before. And the seismic change and shift driven by the pandemic and all of its challenges and so on. So all is not lost. But up until the pandemic, there was a lot of hot air spoken about Sanji Care, but not enough real change and real negotiation about the change necessary, which meant that we haven't actually changed the fundamentals that have to be revised into public-only contracts uh, to make Sanji Care work. 
Lim, you mentioned in your answer there seven over seven. Can you just explain for people what that is if, if they're not sure? Uh, occupational therapy, dietetic, speech and language therapy, uh, all of those things are Monday to Friday services by and large. So the community tends to be a Monday to Friday operation with minimal health care over the weekend. Hospitals still tend to up primarily operate on a Monday to Friday basis with on-call medical teams covering Saturdays and Sundays. Now, if Swansea Care is to work, and this, is, this has to happen, if it is to work and we make maximum use of our healthcare infrastructure, both buildings and people, that we are able to respond to need, I can get sick on a Saturday evening at six o'clock the same way as I can get sick on a Thursday evening at six o'clock. And if we're truly honest, we have to have the same infrastructure available on a Saturday evening that we do on a Thursday evening. So seven over seven means that the services are available Monday through Sunday uh, without any uh, uh, diminution on a Saturday and Sunday or scaling down or scaling back. So if we look at the impact then of the pandemic, was this plan put completely on hold? And what movement has there been since 2020? I think in fairness, and again, there's differing views here and, and, and you know, the, the Sancho Care Council, I think, clashed slightly with the establishment about this. The pandemic, in fairness, um, occupied everybody's minds. Uh, everybody in the healthcare system, uh, the ways of working did change. Uh, elective work was stood down uh, during lockdowns, COVID-only treatment. People stayed away from A&E departments, emerging departments, in huge numbers. And, and there's, I think there's unmet need still out there, the post-pandemic and so on. So the health system, much of it in the clinical arena, had to um, park everything else. But where some of us differ is that they still could have been in parallel to that discussions on where are we going to cite the three elective only hospitals? What about the consultant's public contract? What salary should attach to it? What hours of work should attach to it? What roster should be attached to it? The GP contract, what should that involve? How do you work that on a seven-day cycle? Those discussions could have been taking place in areas of the healthcare system, even during the pandemic, but they didn't. And I think much of, you know, the reason for that is because the health system is overworked. Some of us would think that, you know, that's not strictly a reason to stop those kind of negotiations, those kind of planning, uh, and if you like, some execution of those plans. But they, they weren't moved forward. Um, and, you know, that was a source of frustration to, uh, I think, the Social Care Council, and you, you mentioned people resigning and so on because they just didn't feel the, the move was on or the shift or the political will was there. Uh, and, you know, uh, the pandemic was used all too frequently as an excuse for a lack of action. And that, that may be viewed as hard by some people, but I think many of us feel that that is the case. Yeah, we're going to talk about those resignations some more in a bit, but I just want to stick on the pandemic for the moment. There was obviously a huge change over the last couple of years. The health system had to respond very quickly to a massive crisis. Do you think that showed that rapid reform can take place in the health system? Is that something that can happen in a wider sense or is this just an emergency response? I don't know. You see, I think I, I think a great deal of negativity exists about about change in the healthcare system. I mean, you know, you, you often hear commentators talk about oh, the vested interest. There's never any change in the healthcare system. The healthcare system is changing all the time, driven by technology, driven by demand, uh, driven by new skill sets, and so on. There is no doubt. There is no doubt that the pandemic 
fast forwarded many of those, you know, e-prescriptions to your to the to the pharmacist and the GP, Zoom consultations, all those simple things, uh, multidisciplinary working down, uh, the physio ringing you up, the dietitian ringing you up, all those kind of things were were fast tracked. There's no doubt about it, but there was no resistance to that. The vast majority of staff who work in the health system want change. They know it needs to change. I think most people believe a two-tier health system where ability to pay determines access to care is wrong. It's fundamentally wrong. It robs society of an element of social justice and equality, which even the most, shall we say, right-wing of people say doesn't really actually help the economy. We want a healthy citizenship so that we're working and being productive and so on. So the health system is prepared to change. The health system underwent very significant change during the pandemic. But my point about slauncher care is, and within a health system, and we have a very medical model of care in this country, and we underutilize other health professionals. Until we change the consultant's contract, the GP contract, until we have those elective hospitals uh, where you know, you, you, you're guaranteed your appointment and your treatment and so on. Until we have those services in the community working on a Saturday and a Sunday, the same as a Monday and a Tuesday. And that requires an expansion in capital infrastructure, buildings, diagnostics, but also it requires a massive expansion of staffing and so on. Until we have those things, uh, we won't have slauncher care. We can't, you know, begin to deliver slauncher care. But that doesn't mean change in how health services delivered is not happening every day in healthcare. It is driven by people who want to be better at their job. And I think the pandemic showed that in Ireland we have a team of healthcare staff, healthcare assistants, porters, nurses, dietitians, physios, docs who are second to none and who, who go the extra mile every day. Liam, you mentioned the resignations from the Advisory Council before it was disbanded last year. Who left and why did they leave? Well, the chairman left, Tom Keane, uh, and the chief executive left, Laura McGahey, uh, and Anthony O'Connor resigned, and, and uh, the rest of us, you're like, we're not inclined to go again, and the minister said we, we weren't being reappointed. Why did they go? Um, whether the minister, he didn't accept this, uh, and I, I don't think he does accept this, but we all went in various guises, because we all felt slauncher care was not being delivered. It was being delayed. Uh, the changes that were happening were not that originally proposed in the slauncher care Oroctus report. And there wasn't the political and managerial will to drive forward on the changes to ensure delivery. And I think that uh, when you have a, uh, I think a man respected all over the world, Tom Keane, uh, a man who delivered the cancer care program in Ireland in 078, when you have him kind of write to the minister saying that I, I just cannot see the uh, the leadership and the, the political commitment to deliver science. When you have a, a gentleman like that put that in writing, I think the system should have stood up and noticed. In the end, the Science Care Advisory Council was stood down to be replaced by a managerial oversight board, which has no external oversight, no external membership. So in what way had the government tweaked the plan away from what was originally envisaged or, or was it more of a timeline issue? The key thing here, the key recommendation of one of the key recommendations was that the reform programme should be based in the Department of the Taoiseach. And the idea behind that was that if it's based in the Department of the Taoiseach, it's a whole of government change plan. 
and they will be driven, shaped, directed, and, and, and all the time motivated by the Department of Taoiseach. In other words, the main, the main department. Immediately after this publication, uh, the political system decided it should be based in the Department of Health. The Office of, of Sláinte Care should be based in the Department of Health. So it simply became one of a number of divisions within the Department of Health. No greater, no lesser, no different than acute care, primary care, psychiatric care, all those various things. So that was an immediate, in my view, downgrading and devaluing of the pivotal place of Sláinte Care uh, in the political system, if you like. Um, for the next 10 years. That, that did, they immediately moved it out. They never placed it in the Department of Taoiseach. They moved it out to health. The person heading it up was supposed to be at secretary general level within civil service language. In other words, a head of, a head of department. It wasn't. The person wasn't appointed um, at that level and, and was appointed at assistant sec level. Now, you might say, oh, what's the difference? That's a huge difference within uh, a process which requires huge change. You're not in the Department of Taoiseach and you don't have a secretary general heading you up. So there were two major changes. And then there was a, a lack of commitment, as I said, to engaging the relevant parties on the major changes. Where were the three elective hospitals to be? How much expansion of our community care services should there be and where? How do we staff up all those services so they're available seven days a week? And the consultants public only contract, the GP public only contract, those kind of things. There's lots of talk going on about them, but very little action. And all the while, the public health system continues to be under huge strain, uh, forgetting the pandemic almost and the horrors of that, but just simply the day in, day out demands upon it, and it can't meet it. And we're still lurching from, if you like, trolley day, bad trolley day to bad trolley day, expansion of our waiting lists, waiting times for consultant appointments, all those things are growing. But as I said, the last year with the funding and so on, I have to say, suggests it's now accepted. We need to greatly expand our, our, our staffing and our capital infrastructure. And that means that means sustained additional funding. And the suggestions are there that that's now being accepted by the political system. So that's good. And in the aftermath of the disbandment of the Advisory Council, were any of the concerns addressed as part of this new structure? No. I know, I know that's a very trite answer to a very important question, but no. The Advisory Council, which was representative of many people across the community, like I, I was on, but that, that's neither here nor there, but there was other people from private sector, from non-governmental organizations, all people who had just committed themselves to oversee the change process, put in their, their views as to how it could be done and so on, to make their recommendations. That's been dispensed with to be replaced with uh, a board which is made up of managers of the HSE and the Department of Health. No external involvement at all, at all. Uh, and any study of governance uh, that I've ever seen and has ever been written always suggests that major change must involve oversight by people from outside the system trying to make the change to determine whether it's happening correctly and so on. That is no longer in place. And we're still talking about six regional health authorities and how they'll be set up and all that. And the bottom line is, Sláinte Care requires that the centre cedes autonomy and control and responsibility to regions, six regions. And there is great reluctance and resistance to that within 
the health infrastructure at the moment, and that has delayed that. And as an example of that, again, at the moment, and maybe your listeners would, would perhaps be surprised at this, in our healthcare system, we have a Department of Health, we have a central HSE, we have six, seven hospital groups, if you include the, general, the children's hospital group, we have nine community health organizations, we have 17 mental health regions, and we have a plethora of what we call Section 38 and Section 39 health services, health providers. Now, all, they're all part of the moving parts that make up a healthcare system. What Slauncher Care recommended was there should be six regional authorities. And with each of those six, a single-tiered management structure should oversee acute care, community care, mental health care, uh, social care. All those things should be delivered within a geographic area by one uh, single-tiered management structure. Now, that's pivotal to a lack of duplication, a lack of delay, uh, fast-tracking of budgets, devolving budget management down to where healthcare is delivered. And we're still no further near that five years on than we were when the report came out. So that's resistance. But that's not clinical. That's not healthcare professionals being resistant. That's the bureaucracy being inert about change and so on. And um, they're still talking about that, even though the Sancho Care Council was hugely animated about that 18 months ago. And we're still waiting for it to happen. And what has happened has been the opposite of what is recommended for good governance of a major change plan. So we've talked about where we are now and what's happened over the last couple of years. But do we have any idea of what the next stages are? What's next for Sláinte Care? Well, yeah, I mean, there is talk about these six regional health authorities being set up in principle um, and so on. And, and, And until that's done, you'll have, you know, delays and management overlaps and layers of management. So, so there's, there's talk about that. But I have to sit in front of you and say, and I'm avid, obviously, committed to Slauncher Care and a follower of the healthcare system. There's been talk about the, 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 the pivotal things like a public-only consultant contract. There's talk about the GP contract if they moved into the public arena. Uh, there's talk about three sites for three elective hospitals. Um, there's talk about expansion of community care, you know, healthcare diagnostic centers, small injury clinics, and so on. But there's talk, but there's no action. And uh, until we see that action, then we won't get clarity about um, moving forward. It, it isn't just about money. Slauncher Care isn't just about money. It's about changing how the health system meets the needs of patients. And they should be well advanced in their delivery now, but they're not. And that's very, very disappointing. But we can still do it. And ultimately, we'll have to do it because the two-tiered system is becoming more and more unequal. Like I I saw this week, for example, the waiting time for over 75 uh, in emergency departments across the country was an average of 14 hours. And it was 28 hours in two Cork hospitals. Now, trolleys are being counted in our emergency department nationwide since 2006, that's 16 years. If you're measuring the extent of a problem still after 16 years, somebody somewhere has got to put their hands up and said, we failed. We failed patients, we failed staff who work in that environment. Uh, and until we, 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 we address that deficit, we're failing society as a whole and the economy. Uh, and it's our grandparents 
and our aunts and our uncles who are over 75 and on those trolleys. And in a country that is very wealthy, that is an utter and absolute disgrace. And Slauncher Care aims to expand our health system to minimize that. You'll never eliminate it, but you shouldn't have five and 600 people on trolleys every day like we do have in Ireland. There's no, no excuse for that. Liam, I think you've given the listeners an awful lot to chew on. Thanks a lot for going through all of that with us. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much. We put some of Liam's comments to the Department of Health and they got back to us with a very lengthy statement. The main thrust of it was that the government's commitment to Slauncher Care reform is absolute and unwavering. That more than a billion euro was allocated to Slauncher Care initiatives in Budget 2021 and that funding is continuing at historical levels in the most recent budget. It cited the challenges that we discussed in the podcast, such as the cyber attack and the pandemic, but said that plans are progressing for the new elective hospitals Liam mentioned, as well as work on aligning community and hospital services with population need, more funding and targeted action to tackle emergency department waiting lists, and what they call mainstreaming innovation through the Slauncher Care Integration Fund. The statement also cited the new governance structure that's been put in place, stating that the implementation of the entire programme remains under constant review. More plans will be published soon, the department said, in a 2022 action plan. A detailed implementation plan will be finalised this year and the transition to regional health areas will take place throughout 2023. It's expected that these regional health areas will be fully operational by the first quarter of 2024. The statement went on to say that careful planning is needed to ensure the objectives are achieved. The department acknowledged that despite investment and an increase in capacity, patients, especially older people, still face unacceptably long waiting lists, including those on trolleys in emergency departments. Thanks to everyone who listened to this episode of The Explainer. And thanks again to Liam for joining me. This episode was brought to you by producers Eva Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you liked what you heard and you want to support The Explainer, there are a few things you can do. You can head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber, or you can leave us a rating and a review as well if you're feeling generous, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.